Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with the first verse. Here the Apostle Paul wrote, Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up. Listen to this. While love, love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us... For us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Here ends the reading of God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are merciful to us in Jesus. We thank you that the forgiveness of sins has been bestowed upon us. You've given us the gift of faith. Here we stand in you, Lord. Our identity is in you, and our liberty and our freedom is in you today. It's all because you have been merciful to us. But help us, Heavenly Father, to not use the freedom or the liberty that we've been given in you in a way that would hurt others. Rather, help us to serve one another in love. Remind us, Lord, that that we're not bound anymore, but our freedom is not an opportunity for the flesh. Our freedom is not an opportunity to do whatever we want. Rather, our freedom is given in service to others. So, Lord, we need your word today. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us today. So open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts that we can receive from you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On October 31st, 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed a document to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And this document that he nailed to the, to the castle church door in Germany changed the whole world. 
That document was a document of protest against the Roman Catholic Church's abuses of indulgences. So Martin Luther, he, he nailed this, this document called the 95 Theses to the Castle Church door. In his mind, he, he never imagined that it would set in motion a movement that would change Western civilization. This document that he nailed to the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany, we call it the 95 Theses, somebody took that document, they took it to the printing press, it was printed and that document went viral with the invention of the printing press. It sparked off what we call the Protestant Reformation. And today is the day in the church when we commemorate the, the Reformation. But I, I want to get to the why. Why was Luther compelled and why was he moved to write this document, a dangerous document, of protest against the Roman church? What moved Luther to do that? It was the Bible. Martin Luther read the Bible and it changed his life. It transformed his life. You see, it wasn't very common in that time, even for the clergy, to read the Bible. Luther was, was given the task of teaching the Bible by the church. And so he had access to a Bible, and through reading the Bible, he came to discover the truth of the good news of the gospel. And he was a changed man. He was transformed by the truth of Jesus. The primary truth Luther discovered from reading the Bible is that people are made right with God through faith in the promise of the gospel, not in good works. Now Luther, he tried to be a good Christian, but his conscience continued to torment him because he knew, he knew that no matter how good he was, no matter how many good works he performed, he still wasn't righteous and holy before a righteous and a holy God who demands righteousness and who demands holiness. And so he was tormented by this God because he knew that no matter how hard he tried, he was never, he was never good enough. So he discovered truths like Romans 5.1. <coughs> In Romans 5.1, we read, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified through faith, again, not through works, but justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a monk, Luther tried and he tried and he tried. He says if there was anybody who could be saved through monkery, through being a monk, he said it would be me. Because of all of the fasting, all of the devotion to good works, but he never found peace with God. 
through his own efforts and his own good works. But he discovered from reading the Bible that a person is saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. And Luther, in, in one place, he wrote that he, he was like a dog that had been tied up. And it wasn't free to go anywhere. And he said he was like a dog that was tied up, but then all of a sudden he was set free. Have you ever seen a dog when it's been set free? Well, joy, liberty, freedom. You see, the law, the commandments are good. But the law can't save you. So you are free today. You are free from having to earn or attempting to earn peace with God through your own good works and your own efforts. So today you are free. You are liberated through the gospel. Through Jesus. Free in Christ. In one of Luther's best books, entitled The Freedom of a Christian, he has this thesis. His thesis goes something like this in this little book, titled The Freedom of a Christian. And he, he expounds upon these two points. First of all, a Christian is completely free. He actually says that a Christian is actually Lord, uh, that, that he is, uh, a Christian is a master with Jesus, that a Christian reigns with Jesus over sin, death, hell, and the devil. So a Christian is completely free over Everything that would come against us to cause us to, to experience a sense of, of condemnation and defeat. You're free. Yet, the second part of his thesis is that a Christian is a servant. A servant attentive to the needs of all. So you are free in Christ. But you're also a servant, attentive to the needs of your neighbors. Paul put it this way in Galatians 5.13. In Galatians 5.13, Paul wrote, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be what? You were called to be free. Free from the condemnation of sin. Free from death. Free from hell. Free from the power of the devil. But he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. In other words, we don't let sin reign in our, in, our, in our lives. Rather, we serve one another humbly in love. Now we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Many Christians knew, they understood, they had this knowledge... That their freedom in Christ allowed them to purchase meat 
that had been used in pagan sacrifices. We don't understand this culture that they were in. We can only kind of look at it from 2,000 years uh, through history. But we have to understand that within Corinth and other Roman cities that there were many pagan temples. And within those pagan temples, they would offer sacrifices of animals to uh, to perform the, the cult practices of the temple to appease the god or whatever it was. And then that meat would then be available to purchase, to take home, put it on the grill, stick it in the smoker. And some Christians knew that because they were free in Christ, they were free to purchase this meat and to eat uh, this, uh, this meat that had been used in pagan sacrifices. Before we move on, let, let, let's pretend like we, we have a chalkboard behind me. We're going to write down, we're going to make two lists. On one list, we're going to make a list of all the things Christians are allowed to do. Do you think we're going to agree? Then on the other list, we're going to write everything a Christian is not allowed to do. Is that going to be an easy process for each and every one of us? All of us gathered here today in the sanctuary to agree on those two lists? No. If we were to try to accomplish that task, I think it would be an impossible task for us to complete. Because, because there are some things that aren't made clear for us in Scripture. We call those, have you ever heard of the term adiaphora? Anybody here? No? It's that which is neither commanded nor forbidden. So there there are many issues within life, those gray areas of life, where the scripture doesn't give us a clear command. And so you had within this church in Corinth those who said, it's perfectly fine. It's okay to go into the into the into the market and to purchase meat that had been used. In pagan sacrifice. But there were other Christians who said that is not allowed. It actually it, it deeply bothers me and it destroys my conscience to see Christians purchasing meat that had been used in animal sacrifice. Some Christians felt no guilt in eating food sacrificed to idols. While it t- terribly bothered other Christians to consume this meat. But the first thing that we need to nail down, and I believe the thing that Paul nails down in, in his letter to the, to the church in Corinth, is that it, it is a sin to worship idols. That is a sin. But what wasn't clear was, what about the meat that's then sold? Can we eat it or not? So these two groups within the church had a disagreement. The one that said, it's okay, you can eat Idle meat. And they actually looked down and they were condescending and they were arrogant towards the group that was bothered in their conscience by eating meat sacrificed to idols. So the, the, this, this group who, who said it's okay to do that would look down in arrogance and condescension towards others. And that was the problem. That was what was wrong. That's what Paul's addressing and 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 
And then there was the second group in the Corinthian church that had come out of the life of paganism. And in this group, they, they believe that there is no God but one. And they believe that an idol is nothing. That an idol is nothing but, but an image carved in wood or stone or forged in metal. They, they knew that there is only God, one God. And they worship that God. But because of their former life, because of their former lifestyle in pagan cult worship, it bothered them to have anything in their life that was associated with that former life. You see, on an emotional level, they couldn't come to the place in their life where they felt okay eating temple meat. You see, when someone, when someone has lived in the darkness, when someone has, has been associated with that, that wicked demonic practice, it's hard for them to be associated with anything that has any ties to that. A late pastor in, in a Bible commentary wrote this example. This pastor writes, he says, I met Tom when I was in Las Vegas conducting a school of evangelism uh, during a Billy Graham crusade. And this pastor says, Tom was a recent convert to Christianity, having come into the church out of a lifetime of involvement in the gambling industry. He had been a very successful dealer at the blackjack table in one of the casinos. As a new Christian anxious to grow in the faith, he had enrolled as a layman in the school, and that's how I met him. And the pastor writes that one of, these inter, one of the intermission times, Tom cornered me and asked to, for help in what he considered to be a big problem. The weekend before, Tom and his wife had attended a marriage enrichment retreat sponsored by his church. And during the day, there was a recreation period where different couples took advantage of all the various free time activities, swimming, skiing, hiking, and just sitting around visiting. But what had really upset Tom was that when he went back into the lodge to pick up his sweater, he noticed two of the couples sitting at a table playing cards. As he recounted the experience to me, he said, so much of my life has been involved in playing cards as a part of the gambling industry that I'm not only uh, that, that I not only could bring myself to play I really wonder if it's wise for any serious Christian to play cards his situation was very similar to the one in Corinthians it was an activity that one group of Christians could participate in without any problem yet another group from the same church could not because it violated their conscience so this is where we need to understand the principles I'm just I'm going to present here. You see, this, this is a messy situation. And uh, the, the title of the sermon series is A Messy Church. A Perfect Savior. And, and it's very difficult for a group of people from so many different backgrounds to come together and to not have conflict. And it's very difficult for, for a group of people to come together and not hurt each other. 
So here's the principles that we're going to take from Romans 8 today. How is a Christian to navigate these sticky issues, these divergent views, where it's really not clear in Scripture? Well, here's the principle. Number one, let love, not knowledge, be the last word. Let love, not knowledge, be the last word. Knowledge can cause a a person to become arrogant. Even Bible knowledge can cause a person to become arrogant. Think of the Pharisees. They were filled with Bible knowledge. You read through the Gospels. But they didn't have love in their hearts. Now, 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 knowledge is important. It's important that we learn, that we learn the scriptures, that we know the scriptures. You see, if it wasn't for the scriptures, we wouldn't be able to trust in the freedom that's ours in Christ. So the scriptures are important. But when you use your Bible knowledge to look down on somebody else, that's a problem. That's not loving. The word teaches that you are free. But the word also teaches that you are a servant of all. So let love, not knowledge, be the last word. Number two, don't let the exercise of your rights hurt others. Don't let the exercise of your rights hurt others. A Christian needs to know that in their heart that his or her conduct affects others. You will affect others in a hurtful way or you will affect others in a loving and healing way. So if a friend of mine has a problem with playing cards, I will not play cards. Um, if, if a friend is offended by the movie theater, I will not go to the movie theater. If a friend is offended by dancing, which I, I don't really mind, I'm not going to dance, when I don't dance now. So that would not be a pretty sight. If a friend is offended by eating pork, well, I'm not going to go that far. No, my friend is, is offended by eating pork for the sake of love, I will not eat pork. Even though I have knowledge that it's, it's perfectly fine to play cards. It's, it's perfectly fine in, in my mind to go to the movie theater. It's perfectly fine in my mind to, uh, to dance or to eat pork. But concerning the person that I'm around, the person that I'm with, I'm not going to to use my liberty in a way to be condescending or arrogant to lecture them, but rather in love, in love, I'm not going to do that which is going to offend them or cause them to stumble and to fall and for their conscience to be destroyed. When I was a pastor in, in western New York, there was a rule. And if you have ever lived in a Roman Catholic community, you you understand this rule. Many, many, many Roman Catholics 
in Western New York. Many of them, probably about half of our church, were former Roman Catholics. And, and the rule on Friday in Roman Catholic communities is, is that you don't eat meat on Friday. You only eat fish on Friday. So that's the rule that's been accepted by everybody, basically, within that community. <clears throat> so uh, during, uh, just before Easter, I would go down to the John Deere dealership down the road from the church, and I would borrow a, a big front-end loader. I mean, a great big one. And uh, what I would do is I would, uh, we, uh, I didn't run it, but a, a gentleman from the church who worked for the city who was uh, trained in using that stuff, he, he would remove the snow from the parking lot before the Easter Sunday service. Because all throughout the winter, basically, and Katie, you remember, it seemed like every day it snowed. All right, you wake up to six inches of snow in western New York, it's just that's your normal day, or a foot. And so every day the, the plow would come and push the snow to the back of the parking lot. Well, throughout the winter, the, the parking lot was smaller and smaller and smaller. And the kids remember this. It was always an exciting time when Eric Barkey would bring the big front-end loader and he would pick up the snow and put it in a big, massive, I mean a huge, huge pile in our backyard. Well, the John Deere dealership lent us the front end loader and the fuel at no cost. So what I would do is I would go down to the Don John Deere dealership and I would say, uh, well, I'll bring everybody who works here pizza. So I went down and I talked to the owner and I said, do you mind if I bring uh, pizza on Friday? And he looks at me with big eyes and he says, oh no, pastor. We really want to have meat on our pizza. I'd forgotten the rule. No meat on Friday. So I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot about that. I didn't grow up that way. We Lutherans, we can eat steak on Friday if we want to. So how about if I bring it on Tuesday? I said, yeah, bring it on Tuesday, that'd be great. Thank you, Pastor. So I brought up the pizza on Tuesday so they could have meat on the pizza. You see, there, there are various views, there are various ideas and, and concepts in people's minds. And, and for many of the people in our church in western New York, for them to have anything but fish on Friday would absolutely destroy their conscience. Because they had been raised, being taught their entire life, that to eat meat on Friday was a sin. So that would terribly, terribly destroy their conscience, even as Christians who had come to discover the freedom that is theirs in the gospel. They still couldn't eat meat on Friday. We might be, be tempted to think, why should I have to act differently just because their conscience is weak? Why don't they get a, a stronger conscience? It's not fair because I want to have a steak on Friday. But these questions, while very natural, are questions raised not out of love for our fellow Christian, but of love for our own liberty. 
and our own desires. We need to ultimately ask the question, why does a Christian who is free in Christ serve in love? Why is it that since we are free in Christ, not bound to any, why is it that we as a liberated people serve one another in love? To, to answer this question, we look to Jesus. No one ever lived with more freedom than Jesus. Jesus is completely free as Lord of creation, as King of kings, as the Almighty. But when Jesus came to earth, he did not come to be served, but to serve others, to give his life upon the cross. He had every right as king to have everybody come and and kneel at his feet and to serve him, to provide for his comfort, to provide for his welfare. He had every right to lord it over, but he didn't. He came to serve humbly in love. And brothers and sisters in Christ, he has come to serve you today. He is here to serve you today. And oftentimes we come into the sanctuary and we think, well, this is our opportunity to serve God by being in the pews and singing songs and doing the things that we do here. But I'd, I'd like for us to think of the service not so much as our service to God, but as God's service to us. That he invites us to gather together. Why do I go to church? I go to church because I need Jesus. I need Jesus to come and to serve me. To give to me his grace and his mercy. To fill me with every promise that he offers in his word and in the sacrament. You see, Jesus wasn't too interested in serving those who had come, become puffed up with knowledge. He actually had a lot of harsh words for those people, for the Pharisees and Sadducees. But Jesus, well, he, was, he was very compassionate. He was committed to serving those who had deep, deep physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. He was very committed even to serving those whose lifestyle was a blight upon society. He didn't come those to serve. He didn't come to serve those that are puffed up with knowledge. He came to serve those who knew their need. And I'm here today, and I pray that you're here today, that you're in this place today with deep needs. And I, and I pray you recognize your need for Jesus. You shouldn't come to church to impress, but rather to meet Christ, who promises to, to speak into our hearts in a supernatural way through the word of the gospel, through the reception of something as, and though we're not doing it this morning, the reception of something as simple as, as bread and, and wine, and to receive that promise that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. So we come because Jesus is here in this place to serve us, to reach out to us, to touch us at our place of, of emotional or physical or spiritual need. When Jesus met the woman at the well, 
he didn't go to that well so that, he, so that she could serve him. Think of the woman at the well. Jesus ultimately went there to give to her, to give to her what she needed, the water of life. Now, now it's true, the woman at the well did serve Jesus. The woman at the well gave Jesus water from Jacob's well. Uh, the woman at the well gave Jesus water because Jesus was thirsty. But Jesus was ultimately there to give her eternal life, the water of everlasting life. That water that liberates and frees for eternity. So Jesus went to the woman at the well who had deep, deep emotional and, and spiritual issues and struggles and problems. Her, her life was a mess. Remember that she went to the well at, during the heat of the day rather than going with the rest of the women in the cool of the morning? Why didn't she go to the well at the cool of the morning with the other women? Because everybody knew who she was. They knew that she was a sinner. That she had, had many husbands and that the man that she was presently with, she was not married to. But Jesus met her there to serve her and to liberate her through this water of life. And then in turn, what did the woman in the well do? And I believe the woman at the well is just a, a beautiful snapshot for us of what the Protestant Reformation is all about. What did the woman at the well do after she heard about the truth of who Jesus is as the Messiah? What did she do? She ran into her village and where she would once hide and try not to associate with people because people would judge her, she began to preach and to speak. She said, come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. <laughs> and, and dare I say this, it might get me in trouble with our bigwigs in our synod, she became a shepherd. She became a, dare I say it, a pastor to the people in her village. The woman at the well was liberated. And because of her freedom that was found in Jesus the Messiah, she went and loved and served others sharing with them this good news of who she found and what she found in Jesus. And it was through that testimony that Jesus and the disciples went in and they ministered in that Samaritan village for two days. They stayed there and preached the good news and healed the sick. You see, our liberty in Jesus gives us an opportunity to serve, to give, to be that person who brings a cool cup of water, to be that person who, who brings the good news of the message of the gospel, to be that person who serves society in a positive way, not to look down, but to say, I'm here for you. I'm here to love you and to serve you in the same way that Jesus came to love and to serve me in all of humanity. Let us pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We believe that your word is truth. We trust in all of it. We trust in the commandments and the law, knowing that the commandments are good. Because they help society, they help us to see our sin, and they help us as a guide through life. But Lord, the the commandments, they can't set us free. So we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins. The gift of your spirit. The liberty that is ours today. Help us, help me and help this congregation to begin living in that liberty, to rest in that liberty, but not to remain idle in that liberty, but rather to serve one another, to serve our neighbors in that liberty that is ours in, in, uh, in through faith in you. And we thank you for this, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen.